Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Stephen M. R. Covey. Stephen, how are you? Hey, Josh. Doing great. So wonderful to be with you. I'm glad to have you here. I, I think I finished your book in one sitting. Uh, no, because I, I ate dinner in the middle. <laughs> but I, and, and it wasn't, I, I only partly did a couple of the exercises, but you know, I, I skimmed it through. And I, no, I read a lot of it because I don't know if you realize this, and I'll read your bio in a second for people who don't know who you yeah. are, but everyone knows who you are. Uh, I don't know if you realize that you wrote the, one of the most important books that could be written on sustainability right now, because actually both, I, so I'm talking about Speed of Trust, and I'm talking about Trust and Inspire. Mm-hmm. And for someone who's trying to practice leadership in sustainability, where trusting and inspiring is virtually absent, leadership is, you know, I distinguish leadership from telling people facts and numbers and figuring they'll figure out what to do, or telling people what to do, or you have the phrase, you talk about command and control. And for me, I have CCCSC, coerce, cajole, convince, and seek compliance. And that's what I've been using for a while of describing what people are doing in sustainability. That's all like, here's a little, one little thing you can do and not tapping into everybody has connection to the environment. Everybody has inspiration waiting to be had because who doesn't want clean air? I mean, who doesn't have experiences as a child of playing in the park or climbing a mountain or something like that? And instead we're hitting them with all the science and facts, which are useful, but abstract. Anyway, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read the first paragraph or two of your biography. Uh, so for people who might not know. Okay. Uh, great. So Stephen M.R. Covey is co-founder and of CoveyLink and the Franklin Covey Global Trust Practice, a sought-after and compelling keynote speaker and advisor on trust, leadership, ethics, and collaboration. He speaks to audiences around the world. He is the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author, author of The Speed of Trust. And I'm not sure, are you number one on... on uh, Trust Inspire, that's much more, re- when did it come out? Like two months ago? Uh, yeah, just, just a couple of months ago. No, it hasn't hit number one there, but it's done really well <laughs> and doing well and, and uh, continues to, to sell after the initial launch. You know, sometimes you can launch and do well, but then it fades. And so it's continuing to, to grow. That's exciting. Anyone listening to this podcast who has an interest in leading others to act on sustainability, this book is more important than... I think any book that you'll read on the science or tech, I mean, it's very important to have the science and technology and, and political things going on. There was a very important, but if you, you want to lead others, what this book talks about is missing and what to do about it and what to replace what's, or what to fill in what's missing is there. And I was, uh, the reason I went through so fast was partly feeling like a, uh, a guy in the desert, finding an oasis and like just want to drink of the cool, refreshing water. And, you know, I was thinking like, oh, I got to take notes on what to ask them about. And it's like, take, I could literally go to any page of the book and find something valuable. Oh, that's kind. Uh, yeah, you say kind, but really it's, um, it's like a breath of fresh air. And how else can I describe it? So let's go back a step. Cause I, uh, so you are, you've been, I think of you and trust uh-huh. and when speed of trust came out, how long ago did that come out? Uh, 2006. So it's been out a while. Yeah. And my picture of you and trust is that trust is something that is, it's like, um, integrity that it it wraps up a lot. You don't get trust without a lot of other things. And am I right that you picked it for that reason that you, to get trust, 
you can't do a few little things. You got to put it all together and that wrap things up. Did I read that right? How'd you get started in this? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was kind of exactly that, Josh, that I felt like um, we kind of assumed trust, took it for granted and weren't intentional and deliberate about it enough. And kind of, we operate from the premise of, hey, you either have trust or you don't. It's either there or it's not. And I tried to kind of break it apart and say, actually, trust is a learnable skill. It's a competency. It's something we can learn and do and create and grow, establish, expand, and in some cases, even restore. So I tried to kind of break it into its component parts, how trust flows out of our credibility, and that's our character and our competence, but also it flows out of our behavior. So we can behave our way into trust, just like you can behave your way out of trust. And I tried to kind of um, make it accessible and practical so that it wasn't just kind of a an intangible, ethereal idea, but rather something we could do to build trust on purpose. So I tried to kind of um, um, move it into its components and pieces as well as to have a whole, a whole view, kind of a whole parts whole. But I thought that the parts would actually be helpful for people to see how through their credibility and through their behavior, they could build trust on purpose intentionally. And that's kind of the idea that trust is learnable. It's a skill and it matters. It affects everything else that we're trying to do. And it's, what's the, when, so you've worked with a lot of people, helping them to develop the skills to develop trust by breaking things down, what's the experience like for someone who, let's say, isn't so trustworthy, the process of learning how to develop, to, to become trustworthy? Is it hard? Is it challenging? Is it fun? Is it rewarding? All of the above. It can be really hard. And because they might be protesting, I find in many cases, they're unaware that they're not trusted. Mm-hmm. There might be some that are aware, but many are not that they're not trusted and that people may not trust them. So it's a little threatening to kind of bring that up because they say, oh, no, I'm trusted. And, and, um, but I also find this, that for some, it can be like, to your point earlier, a breath of fresh air when they kind of learn that trust is conditioned by your behavior. And that just like you can behave your way out of trust, you know, make a commitment and break it, you know, you make and make and break commitments, you're going to lose trust. You can also behave your way into trust, make a commitment and keep it, make another commitment and keep it. And so it's learnable. It's a skill. And, and sometimes when you help people see that, that rather than just having someone come up to you and say, hey, I don't trust you. If instead they were to say, hey, this kind of behavior, when you make a commitment and then don't keep it causes me and others to lose trust. When you separate the person from their behavior and rather than attacking people, instead, if you address behavior, it gives people an opportunity to say, Oh yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe I could behave my way into greater trust. So for some, it's almost a breath of fresh air of saying, you know what? I can, I can do this. I can, I, I wasn't aware that, my behaviors were causing people not to trust me. But now that I'm aware, maybe I could choose to behave in a way where I could earn that trust and they could trust me. So those that are kind of open, a little bit humble, mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting for them. 
but there's a lot of defensiveness, you know, when, when someone says, well, you know, I can be trusted and they're not really um, open to saying, well, that might not be the everyone's experience. So I try to not attack people. I try to address behavior and, um, and give people a chance to behave their way back into trust versus kind of being, you know, abrasive of, you know, you're not trusted. Well, that's not exciting for someone. Mm-hmm. Instead, hey, this kind of behavior causes people to lose trust. But if you were to turn this around, this kind of behavior would cause people to, to build more trust with you. And that's exciting. I'm hearing, and tell me if I get this right, that when people feel like it's something, I don't know, intangible or something you're born with or not, it's hard for them to learn. It's hard for them to accept. But by depersonalizing the learning process, that it's your behavior, that's something you can change. They can work on that and not feel like it's some big ethereal thing. But I'm guessing that it still creates that process. You get the end result of the person does probably change and their relationships with everybody changes. Beautiful. I love how you've kind of phrased that. It's, it gives people a chance. And then not everyone will do it. Some people might still say, well, I'll just, I do things my way. But for many, they become more self-aware that I need to be mindful of, of, yeah, I want to get results, but I want to do it in a way that builds trust in the relationship because then the quality of those results are better, but also my ability to get results the next time has just gone up. And becoming aware of trust, even that alone is can be significant because most people kind of just assume it and just think it's either there or it's not. And I'm trying to say, Actually, it's learnable. It's doable, and and um and we be, we can become aware of it. I love how uh, uh, I think it was Warren Buffett that put it this way. He said, "Trust is trust is like the air that we breathe. You know, when it's present, we don't notice it as much. But when it's absent, suddenly everybody notices. And you know, so the absence of trust." It, you know, bad air, we start to notice. And and so we want to, you know, this is so vital, so foundational. And becoming aware of trust, of its importance, why it matters, and and how it really makes our world go around and makes relationships work, I think is important to inspire people with the idea that trust matters and makes a difference in, in our lives. And it's not only better results, but more happiness, more joy. That's exciting. And yeah, I think you also used to the analogy, I forget which, maybe you used it a couple of times of fish noticed water, notice water last. Yep. And if we just take it for granted, then it's very easy not to see it. Yep. No, it's a good analogy. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's a French proverb initially, fish discover water last. They're so immersed in it, not even really aware of it. <laughs> and we're often so immersed. Our whole world runs on trust in the sense that, you know, you, you go get in your car and you, and if you're going to go somewhere, you're operating the premise that pe- there's rules and laws and people basically follow them. There might be a few offenders, but if everyone were offending and violating the laws, you couldn't even go anywhere because it would be too dangerous to go outside and, and such. And so our whole world is really built on trust and we need to keep it. And, and we're operating increasingly in a lower trust world where it's going down all around us and so I'm trying to help people become aware of it and become intentional about it. And, you know, both because it's a better way to lead, but it's also it's a happier way to, fun, yeah. to live. Yeah. So you're talking about the, 
living in the absence of it. And sustainability is, I didn't notice until really preparing for this of like how much it's missing. So I'm going to, I wrote down a couple of things from speed of trust and I want to get to trust inspire in a second. Yeah. But everyone knows, I, I presume that everyone knows that the environment is something, it's a key issue right now. There's some people who are on different sides of it. Um, some environmentalists, you know, um, there's a book out there, the, the moral case for fossil fuels. There's people who want to pump more gasoline. So there's lots of different sides, whatever your views on it. I'm going to say a couple of key words that show up in the speed of trust and tell me how much you associate this with the people that you think of as the most loud voices on the environment. When you think of them, do you think of trust, character, respect, integrity, leadership, competency, continual improvement, listening, humility? Because when I think of the main, I'm struggling to say leaders, but it's really like people with authority or people who get the, the microphone. I don't, maybe people see it differently, but I don't think of those words, of those characters, characteristics related to them. To them. Is it, Stephen, is that the case for you? I, I just feel like it's, I'm reading your book and I'm thinking, this is missing. I would tend to agree, Josh, that I wouldn't think of that either necessarily as a starting point, at least generically across the board. There might be some exceptions in, in personal leaders, but overall, there's just far too much uh, um, contention rather than trust. Finger pointing. Yeah. Finger pointing, blaming, not respect, not listening, not understanding, and, and more force rather than trust. Yeah. And more kind of um, trying to, you know, to your point of control rather than trying to inspire. And I'm sure there are a lot of other fields like that. Yeah. And I think many fields. I forgot to make my joke at the beginning. It was, uh, you know what the problem with your book is? There's not enough global CEOs, Nobel Prize winners, and super famous people endorsing <laughs> it. I mean, it's incredible. Oh, and we've had a, a bunch of them have been podcast guests. Really? So Marshall Goldsmith, Dan Pink. Oh, fabulous. Uh, Bethany McLean, you quoted her. Uh, Francis Hesselbein. There are a few others. I was like, oh, we have uh, a few mutual friends. That's great. And isn't Francis amazing? Oh, yes. <laughs> hundred and something years young. <laughs> I didn't say it because I, I, she does say, you know, she comes from an age when we don't talk about women's age. That's right. But I just, it's just so remarkable. Yeah. She's a, just a force for good. One of my greatest inspirations. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm reading and I'm thinking someone who brings in character and integrity and listens in humility that's what that person's going to make a lot. And I hope to be one of these people. I believe I am still getting started. And I'm not sure to what extent I'm a fish not seeing the water. But I believe that that's going to change everything. You know, there's movements waiting to be started in terms of people wanting to behave sustainably, enjoying it. And, but not wanting to be told what to do and being shamed into it. And that's what there's a lot of. So that's why I'm saying reading your book is very important. It's so, yeah, let's transition over to uh, Trust and Inspire. Actually, 15 years in between, that's a long time. Although you, I see no lack of, of enthusiasm and the feeling of inspiration on, on your part. So I guess you weren't, there's still more you can wring out of uh, um, Speed of Trust. But how, what was the process of this, the new book? 
Yeah. Um, that really was a, you know, 16, 17 year process of thinking about it with a six year process of actually working on it where I just began to kind of look at the, the world and how there's so much potential and talent and creativity and ingenuity that people have that they want to give, but they're often not able to give it. And I start off the, the book describing the experience I had with my father, Dr. Stephen Arcovy, who wrote the seven habits of highly effective people and, and how we would do some workshops together, these big sessions with a thousand people and how there's so much capacity and potential that's inside of people that they're not able to give. And yet we've got to do more with less. And, but, but we're either neglecting, ignoring or not tapping into what people are capable of giving. To me, that's a leadership question that, you know, what are we missing here? How are we not tapping into that? Why is our leadership not drawing that out? And, and that was the thinking of this from the beginning. And, and I began to frame it in the terms of kind of the old traditional model, what we're kind of been involved for decades and decades, if not a century plus. Centuries, yeah. Really has been a command and control type model of, you know, of where you view people almost, almost like things and you're trying to be efficient and, and the like. And so it's a push not a pull and there's more on position and authority and force versus, you know, influence and, um, and credibility and, and inspiration. And um, I just began to frame it as command and control. And that's what we've been operating in. And we've gotten better at it, a more advanced version, a more sophisticated, I call enlightened command and control, Uh which is a kinder, gentler version of it. But we're still too often looking at, people like things and we're trying to get results through people, which doesn't sound so bad, but if you push that to the extreme, people are just a means to an end. And, and, um, and I'm suggesting that we want to get results in a way that grows people. People are also an end in and of themselves. And so um, just kind of looking at the kind of leadership we've been operating with, I'm going to call it command and control. And we've gotten better at it a more, enlightened command and control, but we really need to, it's a new world. It's a new world of work. It's a new world of choice and options. And, and people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And so I began to, to name and to phrase, what is this new world of leadership we need to move toward? And then in juxtaposition to command and control became clear to me it's trust and inspire where people want to be trusted and rather than cajoled, you know, coerced, inspired and, 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 you know, light, light the fire within and that can move on versus just trying to motivate through a carrot and stick type external extrinsic motivation. What if you could tap into internal intrinsic inspiration that's inside of people? desire for purpose and for meaning and for contribution, for making a difference, for mattering. It's in most of us. And we, and, and to have that lit inside of us, that can burn on for years versus kind of the constant need for more carrots, more sticks, more motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Not sufficient. And, and just, we need to migrate our leadership. And I, I use the metaphor that today in our changed world, where 
We have so many options and choices to try to operate with a command and control style leadership. That's kind of like playing tennis. Oh yeah. With the, with the golf yeah. club, <laughs> you know, the tool you're using is not relevant for the game being played and we need a better way to lead in, in our world today. And trust and inspire is my name for that better way that, you know, where you model, you trust and you inspire as opposed to command and control people and situations. And I think that kind of leadership will have far greater impact and, and effect on people and on causes and on things that we're doing, including on everything that you're doing so beautifully well, Josh, with the work that you're doing around sustainability. Yeah. And trust and inspire will elicit it, bringing it about better than kind of pushing force does toward it. Yeah, at least in this area, I, I won't say for other areas, but in this area, it's not only that it will be more effective, the command and control or coercing, cajoling, convincing, seeking compliance, carrots and sticks, that's counterproductive. It provokes resistance. Mm. It's, I mean, it's going in the wrong direction. When you said we're, get, we're getting better at it, I'm thinking getting better at going in the wrong direction. I don't know if that's, <laughs> it's kind of like, it could make sense, but it's, uh-huh. you know, it's being kind. And it's uh, because when you use carrots and sticks, you may get compliance but you're implying to the person that they don't want to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to get them to do it. Right. If you coerce and control, when I hear someone say, here's one little thing you can do for the environment, it's like saying, you don't want to do it, obviously. Or else, I, like no one, you know, people know of uh, Meatless Mondays. One of my things is like, no one says drinkless driving Mondays. Hmm. No one says, you know, if you drink and drive, cut down to like a little bit. You say, never, ever drink and drive. It's never beneficial to drink and drive. So you don't say, do it a little bit. You say, just never drink and drive. But with sustainability, I think we've lost touch with how much nature can bring to us. I I think up until probably living memory, probably every human that ever lived could in a short walk reach walking alone among the trees or walking along the beach with no bulldozers or traffic noise. And they could be in solitude or they could bring a friend if they wanted. And I think there's probably billions of people alive today who have never and may not have ever in their whole lives the chance to experience that, including some of the people listening to my voice right now. And so we don't know what we're missing. And so it's very difficult to be inspired by something you're disconnected from. And to tell someone, here's what happens at two degrees of warming or three degrees of warming, or there's a giant patch of Pacific garbage. If that's not in the person's life, that's this abstract thing. It's, it's like saying, think of the children. Yeah, of course we love our children. Of course we do want to care for them. But we've heard that so many times. It's, it's lost. It's, uh, we, we have defenses against that. Mm-hmm. The credibility, the, the, the trustworthiness that your book is about. I hope I don't sound like a broken record player. That's why I, I'm sorry. I, I was thinking of one of the things you reminded me of something you said in your book is uh, people ask me, how do you keep... Uh, Gen Z or uh, millennials, what's the answer? Trust them. Trust them. And I was thinking like broken record player. Do do they know what that means? (laughs) Because I've had a broken record that skipped. But I hope I don't sound like a broken record player saying this is what's missing. This is, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's one of the biggest things that if people trusted and inspired more. And when I say trust, inspire, read the book for the specifics of what you, I mean, as I mentioned, there's specific exercises in it. It's not just broad, like, trust people and inspire people. It's like, here's what to do. Right. Do these things because 
to the extent that I've done some of those things so far, it's, it's just a world of difference. It's a qualitative difference. It is qualitatively different. I, I like what you're saying here of, you know, to, to double down and get better at a paradigm of leadership that's not working <laughs> is maybe, you know, being kind, like you're saying. I think the kindness is that I think people's intent is improving mm-hmm. and their desire. It's just that if you got the ladder leaning against the right, the wrong wall, learning to climb it faster is not yeah. the answer. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's get the ladder leaned against the right wall and, you know, and let's work on a, a more effective approach, not just a more efficient approach because efficiency, you know, when the ladder's leaned against the wrong wall, doesn't help you. <laughs> and let, let's, let's really try to tap into this. And, you know, and the goal here is, is to, to have influence and to make a difference and to matter. And, and uh, the idea of trust and inspire versus command and control as a better way of leading in our world and on our teams and our relationships and our organizations as parents in sustainability, it's just a better way of leading that's more effective and ultimately will be more efficient. But the focus is really on, on effectiveness over efficiency. And, and it can, that can become transformative versus just transactional. But you start with the premise that it's inside of people that's already there. And yes, yes, yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry to, I, I don't like to interrupt, but I was just like, yes. Oh, I love that you're, we're dialoguing. We're connecting. Yeah. When at the end of every chapter, he, he talks about like in command and control, here are the properties, here are the characteristics of that style of, of their, I'll say leadership, but management say, yeah. And then the trust and inspire mode. And like people often listen to this podcast and they say, Josh, I'm so glad that you, it's so cool how you get people to do these little things. And I say, it's not big versus little that I do. It's intrinsic versus extrinsic. I have to start by asking the person what matters to them. Then I can do something before that. I'm not going to do like, here's a little thing. It's, it's just telling them they don't want to do it. It's, I might get compliance, but I've reinforced the values that were the problem. Yes, that, that, that's really good. And that, that's the idea of this contrast between command and control and trust and inspire, just what it creates, what it elicits. You know, the command and control is, you can get compliance from that. Trust and inspire is, is commitment. Someone's choosing it. Command and control is, again, that more efficient transactional approach. But trust and inspire actually can be transformative and far more effective. You'd be efficient with things, be effective with people. Um, command and control, I love the idea that that is external, extrinsic. Trust and inspire, internal, intrinsic. It's in, you know, to inspire means to breathe life into. So I'm breathing life into that which is lifeless or, or, or where there is life, but it needs to be, you know, breathed into and then it ignites. And, you know, I view a metaphor of a, of a candle that can then light other candles. But the, you know, so, but, you know, becoming lit yourself is one way that can inspire others to, but you, you start from the premise that it's inside of them. That belief matters. Because then you see the greatness inside of people. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think that's important, that starting point. Of, and those beliefs. That belief. That 
Yeah. So this is something in the book is it was your time that before change, you don't just talk about what to do. What are the beliefs that, that are cause the issue and then a different belief that will lead to uh, corrective or more effective behaviors and, and mindsets? Yeah, more, more effective. The whole premise of the beliefs is that the beliefs collectively comprise our mindset or our paradigm of how we view people. And how we view leadership. And when, when we have a more limited belief of people and of leadership that maybe comes from a prior age and a prior model of industrial age and industrial world, then that's, if we, if we continue with that and don't shift that, then we're back to, like you were saying, we're more efficient at doing the wrong thing. And it's not really adding value because we're not seeing people more accurately, more completely, more wholly. So that's what we start with this book, we identify the fundamental beliefs of a trust-inspired leader, of how they uh, how they view people and how they view leadership. And I'll just briefly state, if it's okay. Please, yeah. That, you know, you start from the premise of, again, this starts with how I view people. That people have greatness inside of them. So if I buy that belief that there's greatness inside of people, not just a few, not just the high potentials, but, you know, even that high potential, that is command and control language <laughs> that some people have it and some people don't, but there's greatness inside of people. So my job as a leader is to try to unleash unleash yeah. that greatness, not to try to contain it or control it or coerce it. Um, and it, because that's what you would do if you believe that there's greatness, you have a growth mindset, not just for yourself, but for others. And then the idea that people are whole people, body, a heart, a mind, a spirit, holistic, it, you know, not just economic beings. So if you buy that belief, then my job as a leader is to inspire the whole person, not just to try to motivate the economic being within the person, but inspire the whole person. You know, since, you know, they're a whole person, try to bring out this inside of them and what, what they really are seeking and, and to only view people narrowly in terms of their work and their economic contribution is not to see the person for who they really are, the whole person, the desire for meaning and purpose and contribution. So those two beliefs, people have greatness inside of them, people are whole people. And the corresponding actions, my job is to unleash their potential, not control them. And my job is to inspire, not merely to motivate. Help is a better way of viewing people that's more whole, more complete, more accurate. And then the same thing on leadership, the idea that, that there is enough for everyone of care and concern and love and trust and, and, and generosity and kindness and goodness. So you start with an abundance mindset. Um, so that my job as a leader is to elevate caring above competing. And that's caring for people, but it's also caring for causes and purposes that matter and that we need to focus on caring, not competing. You can compete in the marketplace, but you want to have caring in the workplace and with colleagues and with peers and with relationships. It's a higher level of operating. And while scarcity might be good economic theory, it's not good leadership theory. Abundance is far greater leadership. There's enough credit. There's enough contribution. There's enough love and commitment and trust and possibilities that are out there. That's more holistic. Another belief that Leadership is stewardship. 
And, you know, it's, it's not just rights, it's responsibilities that are implicit with leadership. So if you buy that belief, then my job as a leader is to put service above self-interest because self-interest will take care of itself. If, if I'm seeking to serve, seek to bless, not to impress, to serve, it's amazing how that connects with people. And actually it's a better form of leadership. And, but it starts with the premise of as a leader, it's not a position I'm getting. It's a, it's a responsibility. I have a duty that comes implicit with leading people that I want to, I want to see their greatness and bring it out. And that's a, a responsibility I have, a stewardship I have. And finally, that enduring influence is created from the inside out as opposed to outside in. So my job as a leader is to go first, you know, to be the model, to go first and let that moral authority, so to speak, instead of the just the formal authority, be what creates the influence because of my modeling and my example, my, my the influence that flows from that, the humility, the courage. So these are kind of collectively some of the beliefs of a trust-inspired leader that is a more complete, more whole, more accurate map of, of people and of leadership. And when I operate on that premise, I'll be better able to unleash the greatness that's inside of people and tap into their, you know, what's, you know, the innateness, the greatness inside of them. I use the metaphor of, of a seed. You're a guard, you know, as a leader, you're a gardener. You're trying to create the conditions for the seed to flourish. You're not a mechanic. Because the life, the power is in the seed. And the life, the power is in the people. So my job as a leader is to create the conditions for the seed to flourish, for the people to flourish. But it starts with the belief that the power is in the seed, the power is in the people. The greatness is in the people. And that belief matters. And and I think um, approaching sustainability with that mindset also is a way that we can unleash what inherently we believe is inside of people. Yeah, this is audio only, so people can't see them me nodding yes, and the smile is coming from within. It's like, yes, this is I, my task is so much about abundance and so not about scarcity because, yes, there may be some resource that's some limited, but our human potential to reach our, our ability to reach our potential and bring that out in others that's where the meaning and value and purpose things outside of our control are outside of our control. And can I, I'd like to try that technique I described before we started recording, and I'd love your thoughts if it taps into what you're talking about. Uh, and actually, you'll be probably both paying attention to me and like meta paying attention at the same time. Uh, when you think of the environment, what do you think about? I mean, I don't mean like what are the headlines about like what might happen at two degrees or three degrees, but I mean, you probably had experiences in nature, uh, in the mountains or in the, in the beaches or something like that. Like, it's different for everyone. What's your idea of nature when you think about it? Yeah. Well, I love nature, but I also view nature as a metaphor for principles. You know, and so in my work, that's why I use things like a tree in the speed of trust, because it is a great metaphor, a tree. It has life in the tree and vibrancy. And, um, and I think nature is a great metaphor for principles, uh, natural laws that are out there. So to me, it's both a metaphorical experience of saying this is a way of, to describe leadership. I think the best metaphor for leadership is nature. And uh, I think it's beautiful. But then I have my own connection to nature, just like hopefully we have a connection to principles. 
And so for my personal connection is, you know, the, the beauty and the, the feelings of what being in nature does to me and for me, how it rests me, how it calms me, how it brings peace to, to my heart, to my soul, to my mind, to my spirit. And when I can, you know, in a busy world, I find if I can extract myself, get into nature, I see things in a different perspective. It, it calms me. And I feel like I tap into bigger first principles, <laughs> bigger ideas, because I think nature represents that. I think nature represents principles. So for me, it's both the, there's the leadership metaphorical side that nature to me represents principles. And best, the best leadership is built upon enduring principles that apply everywhere. Fairness, integrity, contribution, goodness, kindness, you know, trust, principles, and, you know, including abundance and, and beauty and good, you know, goodness, respect. But also then there's the personal side where to me it, it is uh, freeing. It is calming. It is peaceful. It quiets me. I want to focus on this, on the second part, the calm, the peace, the quiet, the focus. Yes. Can you think of any one time or multiple times when that has manifested? It could be walking somewhere in, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I think you're in Utah, but yes, it could be anything. Is there, yeah. when you're there, like what's around you when you're feeling this calm, this peace? Is it, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? Yeah. Uh, I, I think of a place that we has been a, a family tradition of a place that my great grandfather had built in Montana uh -huh. decades ago that we will visit as a family in, in Montana. There's, Beautiful nature, big sky country. Yeah. And, and uh, being out in nature, going on, on a hike as a family that we would do and, and being and just seeing the beauty of these natural small lakes and streams and, and just feeling the beauty, seeing the beauty, experiencing the beauty and how just being in nature are again calms me. And slows me down and, and helps me reflect upon what really matters most. And I love that feeling. I love what that does for me because I think it connects me to my best self. And, um, and I just feel a sense of what really matters. And I get out of the thick of thin things that's so easy to fall trap into and just the pace of society. And so. Going, you know, on hikes to experience this, seeing this, feeling this. And I remember doing that with my, my family, my, with my dad and my siblings mm -hmm. and uh, trying to repeat do that with my own children is maybe something I need to do more of. I've got to say that you, we've brought me to, my mom was born in uh, South Dakota and lived for a while in Nebraska. I grew up in Philadelphia and you just brought me to South Dakota. Mm. And I don't know how different it is from Montana because I haven't been to Montana, but the big sky, the, and the family. And 
I mean, you talked about the calm and the peace, and I thought of the awe and the oneness, you know, the connection. And that's different. It may, be, it may connect also with what you're talking about, and, and, but I could hear, I could also feel what you were describing. And a lot of people, the next question I ask is, what are the emotions that you connect with these things? And you jumped right into it, and you were right there. Yeah, absolutely, because it's so real to me. And the calm, the peace, the stillness, the sense of purpose. To me, it instills that. And I've, you know, I've had this connection. I fortunately have had some connection to nature. Um, but I have to be intentional about it because it's not, uh, it's, it's something that, that you can get so trapped in living life in the fast pace of life that you become a little distant from it. So um, being intentional. You've anticipated the next step, which is paying attention to those emotions, those feelings, yeah. the awe, the wonder, the, the calmness, the focus. I invite you to think of something. This is if you want to, no, no obligation, but at your option to think of something to do, to act on those feelings, to bring them about in your life now. And it could be for long-term, it could be for short-term, but just, uh, and, and something I didn't say that a lot of people hear I'm not saying what you can do to fix any net problems with nature. Yeah. That's that may, it may affect it. It may not, but something to, I mean, you, you talked about sometimes you get stuck in life. So to do something to bring those about uh, with three constraints, if you, if you're up for it, okay. Something you're not already doing something that you do with your own hands. So not getting other people to do it. No saying, Oh, I'll get my kids to go do something. Okay. Uh, and something with a physical component. So not just reading a book or watching a documentary. Yeah. So that when you're done, you can look back and say, I had a non-zero effect on the world and I like it. And if you're up for it, most people at this stage can't think of what it is, but it takes a bit of back and forth and it has to be, we have to figure out during the call. And uh, if you're up for it, I'd ask how it went. And if you're up for a second conversation about it, want to give it a shot? Sure. So some people right off the bat, they're like, oh, I know what to do. I've been meaning to do X for a while, but some people it takes a bit of, does anything come to mind as something to bring a bit of beauty or of calmness or of peace or focus that might not have been there otherwise. Yeah. Well, just Josh, as we've been talking through this and you had me reflect, you know, I went to like, like you go to South Dakota, I went to Montana uh -huh. and I reflected upon what I would used to do. We used to go on this hike with my dad and my siblings. And it's been a while since I've done that hike. And I'm actually not sure I've done that same hike with my own kids, Oof, uh -huh. like my dad did with his kids, with me being one of those kids. And But that's where I went with this, to that experience. And I got thinking, you know, uh, that's maybe something I could do where I could lead with my children mm -hmm. and do what I felt and what I felt in this discussion. Why not give them a taste and experience of that very thing and reconnect, rekindle in that way, but also have this be almost intergenerational experience and wisdom passed on that I grew up doing and that I haven't, I don't know that I fully passed it on to them because I haven't, we've been out in nature, but I haven't had that experience. It just came to mind as we talked. Maybe I could do that with them. You just took me to... I do this a lot in workshops yeah. and, you know, I bring some up on stage and I have sometimes do it back to me. And one of the things I did when I was, when someone did this to me 
was to walk with my father in the park near our house. And I'm not particularly close with my dad. And we don't always get along very well. And the past, I realized that the past bunch of times we met were like by, he'd be passing through Manhattan. I'd meet him by Penn Station, which is not exactly like a wonderful natural place. And we had the best conversation we'd had in probably a decade because we were walking in nature. Because, well, I, I can't say exactly why, but I can say what happened. And yeah, this would, uh, I mean, do you, I don't know how often you're up in Montana or, so the next step is to make it a smart goal is to make it specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound to take your kids on a walk. Maybe it's that specific one. Um, could we make it a specific goal? Yeah, I am. I'm actually going to be in Montana in the next few weeks. You're planning on being there anyway. I'm planning on being there anyway. And even then, even then you have to be intentional about it because it's easy. We now have our longtime cabin now has the internet. So it'd be very easy to, uh, yes. yeah. you know, you fall into that trap again because but to actually get out and do this. So I think what I'd like to do is as a specific goal is to, to do this hike and to do it with my children of what I felt as I went down this path with you of the thoughts that came to me and the stillness and the calm as I recalled and felt that experience from that hike to do this hike. Cause you know, it's not, it's a longer thing, but it's not hard. It's mm -hmm. just, it's pleasant. It's enjoyable, but what a connection. I just remember the connecting the bonding both to each other, but also to nature and maybe better to each other because of nature and, and what that did. And that's something I could do, but I really haven't done. And I've got this trip coming up. So it's very specific mm -hmm. and I can do it or not do it. And rather than stay back in the place and get on the internet, let's get out and, and uh, immerse myself in nature with my children. So I've got something to do. Yeah. You're just warming my heart. I, I have to, and you know, there's a couple of constraints that I'm always very a stickler on and you've actually covered these. So if you flew out there, Specifically for this, that would be, but if you already were doing that, okay, so that's not increasing anything there. And since you mentioned that you're not going to be on the internet, you're saving power. You're not just walking out. You're actually not doing something that would consume power. I'm not doing something that would consume power. So whether you've intended to or not, you've just hit the, you've just hit the check, check, check. <laughs> and I don't think you're trying. <laughs> no. <laughs> would you be game to, in a couple of weeks, share the experience on a second conversation? I'd love to. So after we stop recording, before we hang up, if it's okay with you, we'll get out the calendars and, or I don't know, maybe you have to go through your people, but uh, I would love to hear how it goes. Okay. Let's do that. That will also give me a sense of stewardship for this. See, I, I view stewardship as a really good thing. Oh yeah. That includes the, it's a sense of responsibility, but it's implicit. It, it comes along with, with um, us being human and that's being in a leadership role. And so I see this sense of stewardship with my children to try to teach this, the power of nature and of natural systems and of principles, but also of the stillness, the calm, the peace and our responsibility, our stewardship comes from this. And I know stewardship is a beautiful word mm -hmm. in the sustainability work. And I view it as a, as a leadership word. It's what's needed of leaders is you know, it's, it's responsibility is not rights. It's 
and stewardship. And we need that in leadership. And that's a better way of saying that than saying that, you know, management duties and responsibilities. No, these are stewardships of a leader that if you have people that you're working with, you have a stewardship to try to see the potential inside the people and to, to help them come to see it in themselves. You got to communicate it to them and, and help them develop that potential by giving them opportunities where they can grow and develop and to try to unleash that potential so that you can use it for good purposes. And, you know, if you see that as a, I have a stewardship for that, for the people under my care, rather than a span of control, it's a span of care. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Bob Chapman, his beautiful language. And, and again, I'm a gardener, not a mechanic. So it's not mechanistic. It's a natural system. It's organic. That's again, a beautiful. That's why I believe nature is the best metaphor for leadership. And, um, in fact, uh, we did a book that's never went anywhere. It's out of print, but I've got a copy. And Josh, I'm going to send you a copy. That I think you'll, you'll, you'll love this. It's, my father wrote it with a, a colleague, Roger Merrill. And we, we, and, and, but I was heavily involved in, with it. I was the CEO of the company at the time. And this was partly something I had as a project. And we, we worked with uh, DeWitt Jones who was a photographer for National Geographic, a nature photographer. Uh-huh. And we had him come in and present and how he would take pictures of nature and how there was more than one right answer and how you could find these beautiful photos to illustrate nature. And we'd already kind of bought into the premise that the best, the nature represented principles. And our approach to leadership was principle-centered leadership. So to use nature as a metaphor was natural. The net Result of it was we created a, a book that has got the photography of nature that came from DeWitt Jones, award-winning National Geographic photographer at the time. And then my father, Stephen Arcovian, and Roger Merrill writing on leadership. We called it the nature of leadership. I'm just honored that you suggested it. Yeah, I, I, this is deeply honoring. Uh, I feel honored. Well, it's coming to me right now as we're talking. And it's, it's kind of a book that, I mean, we did it 25 years ago and didn't really sell. And it was never intended to, it was intended to be a thought leader book, not necessarily a commercial mm-hmm. success type of thing. And I mean, you know, you'd love it to sell commercially, but you know, most picture books are like that don't necessarily go, but it's a beautiful book. And I think it illustrates and, and I'm inspired to, to get back into this. <laughs> into nature and, and, you know, and I know I used nature as to me, it's foundational to leadership and, and to the thinking of leadership because it embodies, it represents principles that are found in nature. But also I just love what it does to me. And I believe to others. The tone of the conversation that we're talking about sustainability and leadership is this is typical for after doing this Spodic method is the name for, the steps and and maybe next time I'll break down what what we, that I did a very structured process of behavior that what you're talking you know I think process wise is, is similar to what you described mm. and if I don't do it first and I just start talking about the environment it's always about blaming and pointing fingers and it's outrage and disaster and people show how much they care by showing how outraged they are things like that mm-hmm. after it it's 
oh, there's something else I can do. And here I predict that, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but I predict that you'll do more than you said you would. Mm-hmm. And you'll do it because something inside you feels like once we did this walk, it felt natural to do something else too. And I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be something that in the doing, if I've done my job well, when you're doing it, maybe some of this conversation, but more importantly than this conversation, what you referred to in this conversation, your relationship with your father, with your grandfather, with, with that nature walk, yeah, it will be, that will infuse it more than anything else about I could tell you all about what happens in so many parts per million of CO2 and that wouldn't, right. That's not inside you. That's not uh, intrinsic. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But let me share what I love the most of what I just heard you say. First of all, I, I believe you, I bet it happens. Let's see. I'll just, you know, like you say, you're not leading the witness. Let's just experience this. But you know, the approach you're describing is a trust and inspire approach. I can see why you're saying that you resonate with this because you're saying, look, you're, you're, belie- you're, you're seeing me and you're seeing the potential and the greatness inside of me and that it's in me. And you're just trying to have me draw it out. You know, you're drawing out what's in me, but you're not coercing or forcing. You're allowing me. You believe it's in, in me and you're allowing it to grow and to flourish. But that's such a different approach, this trust and inspire in any aspect of leadership in life for a team and an organization to see the potential, the greatness that's inside of people, to see people as whole people, desirous to make a difference, to matter, and help bring that out as opposed to try to push, yes. motivate, coerce, manipulate, even incentivize just, I mean, nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just that if it's all carrot and stick, you got to constantly throw more external stimuli at people as opposed to really tapping to and igniting what's deep inside of people. So, you know, this, you're using a trust and inspire approach. And that's beautiful to me. That's exciting. That's inspiring to me. So when we talk next, I hope that I would love, I mean, you've, You've done what we're talking about with CEOs of major, huge global organizations. And I would love to learn what's next. What insight you can bring to bear on this, because these are the people that I hope to work with and lead to make you feel the way that you're feeling right now and make their organizations feel the way that you feel right now. So I hope we can, I hope we can talk about that next time. Let's continue our conversation. It's wonderful to connect with you and to talk with you, Josh. And you've kind of tapped into, you rekindled some things that are in me, including kind of reconnecting with my belief of why nature is so powerful and why there is a nature of leadership and, and how it's, it's really what we learn about leadership through nature. And then also what nature does to us. And again, that's what great leadership does is what it does with people and for people and, and taps into what's inside of people. And so it's rekindled it. And I'm going to dig out this book, this, uh-huh. this nature leadership book and get it out to you. And, um, 
It's not in print, so there's only so many copies in print, but I've got enough oh. to give you one. There's an abundance of everything that's good, and I'm going to give you one And because of, of how I think you'll resonate with it, like you, just like you have with uh, Trust and Inspire. And I'm, I'm just thinking of the, you know, Peter Drucker, mm-hmm. who was ahead of his time as a management thinker. And he said, at the end of his life, he said, today, organizations are not built on force, but on trust. And I see that's what you're describing around this whole movement is, you know, it's not on force, on coercion. It's on trust and inspiration. It's a better way. And I think that that's how people, you know, I, I come back to people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. People want to be trusted. People want to be inspired. And that brings out the very best in all of us. And we tend to rise to the occasion. We tend to perform better. We tend to also want to reciprocate and give it back to people. And then that become can become a virtuous upward spiral where trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence and help bring about a, you know, better leadership and a better world for all of us and such a better way to lead than the old command and control model. The way you're talking about it is so different than most people. They're like, Josh, you know, you got to change the whole systems. If it doesn't scale, you're just talking about one person acting. Like one person that systemic change begins with personal change. The, I pulled a quote from, from your book, from Leo Tolstoy. Everyone, wants to talk, everyone talks about changing the world, but no one talks about changing themselves. That's where it begins. Yeah. And this conversation is, this is the type, this is the tone. This is, if we get the leaders of the world talking this way, you know, coaches, you, you, I mean, I think John Wooden showed up in your book a couple of times and yeah. The score will work itself out if we focus on the fundamentals, if we focus on the basics, if we focus on improving each other, you know, you're the most important person to me. I'm the most important person to you. Teamwork. That's what's missing. That's why this is going to be fun. Not something we have to do, something we get to do. Yeah, there's going to be hard work, lots of really hard work. And things aren't going to work well in certain areas. Like there's going to be big problems and we're going to rise to that occasion. That's going to bring up the best in us. Yes, it's going to be very difficult. And people are going to suffer, but we're going to get out of this. I mean, you quoted Eisenhower a lot too. And yeah, um, leadership of the art of getting the other other guy to do your thing for his reason. Yeah, yeah. That's their reason. I'm having a hard time not continuing talking with you and I could go on for hours. I'd be happy to. But let's wrap this up. Uh, is there anything to, that I didn't think to ask that's really worth bringing up or any message you want to give directly to the listeners that we haven't covered already? I would just say this, and this has kind of been brought up, but maybe I'll kind of put it, a bow on it, that becoming a trust and inspire leader is actually a learnable process that, that I'm, you know, we need more trust and inspire leaders in our world that can become models for us and who then can become mentors. And I'm suggesting that each of us can become that kind of leader. And leadership is a choice, not a position. So whether you have people reporting to you or not, you're a leader. It's what we do and it's how we do it. And, and so everyone's a leader. You're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your community. You're a leader in your neighborhood. You're a leader in your work. You know, whether, whether you're the team leader or the team member, you can still lead. And so. But the best kind of leadership is when it's built from the inside out. And I use, again, a nature metaphor of the drop water coming down, the ripples, the waves, they start at the inside and they ripple out. And that very first wave where it all begins is with ourselves. 
and then ripples out to our relationships and then to our teams and our groups and our friends and our families and then to those we interact with collectively and then to broader societies and and it ripples out inside out but that's very empowering because it it's and there's much we can do yes there's things outside of us that we can't control but we work on what we can and we ripple out we get enough of us doing that a critical mass we can have a real impact on this and that's how leadership happens in an organization and that's how it happens in a cause and so we need that as people as leaders it's learnable because you start with the fundamental beliefs your paradigm and we describe some of the paradigms some of the fundamental beliefs of trust inspired leaders and then we go into what we do and in the trust inspired book i talk about those three things we model we trust and we inspire now, modeling is who we are. Trusting is how we lead. Inspiring is connecting to why. And, you know, to why it matters. And so you connect with people through caring and belonging. And then you connect people to purpose, to meaning, and to contribution, to mattering. And, and when you do that, when you connect with people and connect to purpose, that will inspire. And the point is, everyone can inspire. It's a learnable skill. It's not just for the charismatic. Inspiring others is a learnable skill. How? Through connecting with people, through caring and belonging, and we can all do that, and then connecting people to purpose, to meaning, to contribution. And we can learn to do that. And the point is that we can become trust and inspire leaders on this journey, and we need that kind of leadership today. We need models who can become mentors, and I'm speaking to them and looking at them. So I wish all of us every success as we move forward in trying to bring, become trust inspired leaders in our world. So if you're interested, um, you can go to trustinspire.com, get the book, trust inspire and, um, and join me and you, Josh, and many others in helping bring about a renaissance of, of trust in our world for the betterment of society. Stephen M. R. Covey. Thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Great to be with you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.